0: Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be breaking down the Thursday, March 23rd slate of college basketball DFS. That's right, the NCAA tournament is back already. We got a quick little three days off Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, but the tournament is back on Thursday with the Sweet 16, and we got a four game slate to attack on DraftKings and Fanduel. Now, I am kind of skipping Wednesday. Um, Wednesday there is an NIT slate. Um, of College Basketball DFS, but I am kind of skipping that on the podcast. That way I can get this one out to you guys earlier. Uh, and I was able to get the research on this one done earlier as well. So what I'm probably gonna do, I'm probably going to just send out um, on Twitter my thoughts on the Wednesday College Basketball slate. Um, so if you want to see what I think of the NIT slate, Um, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Mike's Money Picks. I will be putting the thoughts on there. The NIT slates are kind of weird. It's not a big slate either. It's not really worth, you know, devoting a full podcast episode to, in my opinion. Like tonight, I ended up cashing in the NIT slate because I played Mule Sissoko, who is a big man for North Texas, who transferred there from Dayton, who is really big and plays really hard, and he was the only big left standing for North Texas. So um, you can kind of take advantage of some injury situations in the NIT because there's a lot of guys that have gone portaling or are, you know, currently out. So that's why we won't do a full episode for the NIT this week. Next week, we might. But anyway, we're here to attack Thursday Sweet 16 slate. So while you are here... I want this to become the biggest college basketball DFS podcast in the world, and I can only do that with you guys' help. Last week, we had the highest listener numbers that we've ever had for any episode for the first round games, so I want to capitalize on that. If you are back, if you were somebody who listened for that, please subscribe to the podcast. You'll be notified when new episodes drop, and while you're here, please rate and review. I can only get this show bigger and bigger with you guys' help. Now, also while you're here, check out the episode feed. We've got golf podcasts this week for the WGC Match Play and the Corralis Punta Championship, so if you Play DFS, you might be interested in trying some golf DFS this week. It's kind of like college basketball, where there's not a whole lot of um, sharps out there. It's something that you know you can get a little bit ahead by doing a little bit of research. All right, so that does it for the introduction, y'all. We did a super deep dive on this weed 16 slate. It's only four games. We're going to break down almost every player in the player pool. I'm not going to say every player because obviously we're not going to mention you know all the walk-ons. You know, no offense to walk-ons, but love walk-ons. But we're not going to mention everybody we're going to mention almost everybody here on this show and offer up my thoughts and offer up the stats and trends that you need to know to make your dfs lineups for this four game slate we're going to do it game by game we're going to break it down two games and two games by section um so if you are looking for the late section um just scroll ahead there will be a timestamp in the description but without further ado let's get started but first a quick word from our friends at spotify All right, so the first game of the Sweet 16, Thursday night is going to be Michigan State versus Kansas State. Ken has this one as Kansas State 70 to 69. Now, what's really interesting is that Michigan State is actually favored uh, by Vegas in this game, but Kansas State's got the edge on Ken by one point. Um, as I've kind of, you know, told some people in my life, you know, Tom Izzo's doing his thing again. Like that thing where he just takes a very average team and they peak at the right time in the NCAA tournament and they make a run when nobody really expected it. But then when they do it, everybody's like, oh yeah, it's Izzo. He always does that. Yeah, he's doing that thing again, and they're going to be competitive in this game I'd see no way that this game turns into a blowout on either way because you just have a lot of guys that play really really hard and I think that that total of 139 on Ken Palm is actually pretty solid um, I could totally see it ending around that Michigan State is ranked 302nd in the nation in adjusting tempo on Ken Palm and K-State is 41st so it's definitely a tempo up game for Michigan State getting those increased possessions for playing Kansas State now both teams are in the top 10% in defensive efficiency according to Ken Palm so there's no no real um, like place to target on this one. Although each team does kind of have a relative weakness that I am going to get to here. So let's start breaking it down player by player. AJ Hogard from Michigan State is the team usage leader and he has been the team usage leader in the tournament so far. But the problem is, is his price tag is so inflated that it hasn't really turned into a whole lot. He has not hit four times value in three straight games. However, if I were to make an argument for this game against Kansas State, this is the best tempo matchup that he's gotten since the Iowa. A game, and I also think it would bode well for him if he is in fact guarded by Marquise Noel. I think he would be able to get some of these pull up mid range shots over Noel, um, you know, with a little bit of a shorter defender now other good news for A.J. Hogarth is that we just saw a ball dominant point guard do very well against Kansas State and that was Kayson Wallace at Kentucky. He had 21 points, 9 rebounds, and 4 assists on a 25% usage rate against Kansas State and A.J. Hogarth typically has a usage rate higher than 25%. Now I also think that bodes well for Tyson Walker also. He's another scoring guard for Michigan State and right now Hogarth may be the usage leader for the NCAA tournament but Tyson Walker has taken more shots in this NCAA tournament and he actually did in fact hit four times value against Marquette. So I would tend to believe that at least one of these guys, Hogard and Walker is going to hit value Thursday night. Um, and I kind of like both of them. I would say that they probably should be more even in price tag than they are. And I would probably give the edge that I am more likely to play Tyson Walker for that reason. He's a little cheaper and I like the number of shots that he's getting. Now, Joey Hauser from Michigan State has had exactly four times value in three state games. I'm not kidding. He scored exactly 30.0 fantasy points in three straight games. I thought it was a typo when I saw it. It's not. It's kind of crazy, right? Now, what is kind of alarming, though, is that he hasn't had over a 20% usage rate in four straight games. So he's giving you a lot of production without the ball being in his hands quite a lot. It means he's being super efficient. He's getting a lot of boards, a lot of peripheral stats. And I just I don't know, I'm not really buying into paying for a guy at this price tag with this low of a usage rate, so it's probably a pass on me for Joey Hauser, even though he has been great in the last three games. Jade Nakins is a guy that will typically play about 25 to 30 minutes for Michigan State's backcourt. His usage rate is not great, but when you look at his game log, he just kind of finds a way to get too close to his average of 19 fantasy points a game. like He doesn't deviate from that very often. I think he would need foul trouble from either Hogart or Walker to be able to go super big, Uh, and I don't really think that's super likely, if I'm being honest. But the potential is there, and he has been super consistent. I could see him as a cash game value play more so than a GPP type of guy. Now, we did just see Oscar Shiblai get what felt like every single rebound against Kansas State. Like, watching that game, it just felt like, you know, when the ball bounced off the rim, like, where's Oscar? Oh, he's right there. Of course he's getting it, right? So the guy that would take advantage of that for Michigan State would be Maddie Sissoko. Uh, he has a higher rebound rate uh, than anybody else on the team, including Malik Hall, who I think is another, kind of like Jaden Aikens, low usage rate guy that plays a lot of minutes but probably doesn't get to four or five times value. Um, so Matty Sissoko does have the highest rebound rate on the team. He played only 21 minutes to get to 28 fantasy points against Marquette. That's an incredible rate, 1.33 fantasy points per minute. Now, what is frustrating is that you will see minutes from Carson Cooper and Jackson Kohler, but if Sissoko is out there for 21 minutes again, I definitely like his chances to get the four times value. And if he's able to play bigger minutes, I think he can get to even more because Kansas State is not a great rebounding team. uh, And I definitely see the pathway for Sissoko to do what he did against Marquette again against Kansas State. Speaking of Kansas State, let's go ahead and break them down. So for the Kansas State offense, everything goes through Marquise Noel. He has a 27% usage rate on the season, and it has picked up in the NCAA tournament. He's been over 30% in usage rate in both NCAA tournament games. Now, he is also in the rare club that he has over 100 fantasy points total in both NCAA tournament games so far. That's kind of a crazy stat because that's an average of 50 per game. Now, Michigan State is a better defense and slower tempo than both the teams he has played, so I'm not sure that you can count on another 50-point night out of Marquise Noel. However, what I do like about Marquise Noel is when you look at the recent slates that he's been on, ownership's always low. And I can't figure out why. Like, he's had some really ceiling performances in the Big 12 this season. Um, He, you know, is fairly consistent. He's got a high usage rate. I I don't know. The people just not like the fact that he's short. I I don't get it, right? So the fact that he is going to be low-owned makes him a lot more viable to me. I think of the top guys on the board, uh, I definitely think he warrants consideration. But I totally wouldn't be opposed to just passing on him because of how expensive he is. There's a lot of guys that you can get to on this Like. Now, Keontae Johnson had only 23 fantasy points against Kentucky after he did manage to hit four times value in round one. He's just a super consistent performer and he's been super consistent with his usage rate. He had 24% and 25% usage in the two NCAA tournament games. The lack of production against Kentucky is just more evidence that he needs rebounds to get to value. And Big Oscar was just taking all the rebounds. And so Keontae Johnson wasn't able to get to his normal value. Now, I think that against Michigan State, it's a slightly better matchup for that, right? They don't have any dominant rebounders that are going to be out on the floor for all 40 minutes like Oscar Shebly. So I, I kind of get going to Keontae Johnson. Uh, he's another guy the ownership is always pretty low on, but I'm also okay with passing on him as well. I think there are some other game environments and some other situations we can target further down the line. Now, Naquan Tomlin is a guy that I like a lot. Michigan State has struggled against bigs, in in this case centers, all season long, right? And so I totally see just going back to Naquan Tomlin for that. He's not a huge scorer. He's not a big usage guy. But he can put up rebounds and blocks in bunches and very quickly get to value. And so I'm not opposed to going to Naquan Tomlin for that reason. Now, Desi Sills is third on Kansas State in terms of usage rate on the season, but it's significantly behind Noel and Johnson. But he does have a little bit of a ceiling. He's hit five times value in two of his last four games. But I will say those two games have been up-tempo games for Kansas State. And this is not really an up-tempo game with Michigan State being in the 300s in tempo. Uh, He needs peripheral stats to get to value or maybe Marquise Noel foul trouble would help him get there. But I'm just not seeing it in this one with Michigan State being a slower tempo team. Now, David Ngasson and Cam Carter are the other two guys that are going to be on the floor quite a bit, but have super low usage rates. Carter in particular plays a ton of minutes, but is super inconsistent, doesn't see a lot of shots. Now, if he does only take six shots and he goes like five for six or something, he's probably going to hit value. But I just don't really want to bank on that in my opinion. Ngasson played 24 minutes against Kentucky, but he only averages about 0.7 fantasy points per minute. So he would need that exactly 24 minutes in order to hit four times value. So I think there's other guys I would rather play other than Angesan. All right, that does it for game one. Let's go ahead and move on over to Arkansas versus UConn. Ken Palm has this one as UConn, 75 to 69. So we got a 144 point total in this one. Both of these teams are top 15 in defensive efficiency. Arkansas is 50th in the nation in adjusted tempo. So it is a bit of a tempo up spot for UConn, who ranks in the 200s. Now, for UConn, this is significantly faster than their last game against St. Mary's. St. Mary's is in like the 350s, if I remember correctly. So um, we're we're definitely seeing. a better spot for UConn than they saw last Sunday. Now, breaking down the Arkansas guys, Anthony Black has been okay but unspectacular in the tournament. He has a questionable tag on him, by the way. I think he's playing. Like, I don't think there's any real – like, it wouldn't be a surprise if he were out, but, like, I just – I think he plays, like – I, I you know what I mean? Like I just think that that Q tag is there for precautionary reasons. I think they're putting the Q tags that way. If he were then out, it, you know, nobody could complain. But anyway, he's had 43.5 fantasy points total in the NCAA tournament. But what you're seeing is his usage has dipped as Arkansas has continued postseason play. They have really operated through their more experienced guards, which hasn't helped Nick Smith Jr. either, who is yet to score 10 fantasy points in the NCAA tournament. I'm probably not getting to either Black or Smith Jr. just based off what I've seen so far in this NCAA tournament. Now instead, what you're seeing is increase in usage for the two experienced guards, Ricky Council and Debo Davis. Ricky Council is averaging a 24% usage rate. Debo Davis is averaging a 25% usage rate. And Davis has actually hit five times value in back-to-back games. Now let's talk about Council real quick. So quick word of caution, he's attempted 23 free throws combined in two NCAA tournament games. I don't think he's going to be able to continue living at the foul line like that, so I think he's due for a little bit of regression. Now, another trend that is worth noting, though, is that he's vastly outperforming his season average for rebounding in the last four games, which is a direct result of Arkansas playing a little bit smaller. We've seen less of the Mitchell Twins, certainly less of the Mitchell Twins out on the same floor or out on the floor at the same time. So you're seeing more rebounds for council, which is a good thing for his fantasy production. But the problem is, is I don't think they can afford to play small ball against Sunogo, Klingon, and Alex Caraban and the rest of the UConn front line. So I think you might see more minutes for Makai Mitchell, who has been a fancy point per minute guy in his last four games. So theoretically, Makai Mitchell would need 23 minutes to hit four times value. And I could totally see him doing that. Now, another guy we're talking about in the Arkansas front court is Kamani Johnson. He's intriguing because he's actually been starting games at the five, but he's not like a super big physically imposing five. He's had 15 fancy points and 11 fancy points in his last two starts. I don't think they can afford to play him at the five for very long. Cause I think Sanogo is going to have his way down low with Kamani Johnson. Um, so I kind of would be worried about playing him. I think you're really going to see more minutes from Makai Mitchell in this game. Um, Now, also, I don't mind Jordan Walsh as a value play. He gets dual eligibility, and he doesn't need a lot of shots to hit value. He's been in between three and four times value in his last four games, and he picks up a lot of peripheral stats. Now, quick warning, though, with Arkansas. They've been one of the most unpredictable rotations all season long. Yes, they're super talented. They have a lot of guys who do a lot of different things, but they're all kind of specialists. And so Eric Musselman kind of just plays to whatever he sees for the game or whatever he's game-planned for. And I kind of don't really want to trust anybody on this team outside of Debo Davis. If I'm being 100% honest, he seems to be the guy that through anything injuries, you know, matchups, whatever, he's the guy that's going to get a lot of minutes and he's the guy that's going to get a lot of usage. Um, and like I said, I really have high hopes for Makai Mitchell, but with how unpredictable they've been, I think that Musselman just might forget which Mitchell brother is which and send in Mikel Mitchell. And then he's the one getting all of our fancy points. So, um, that, that's, that's obviously a joke, but is it though? I, I really don't know if he knows the Mitchells from each other. So anyway, um, I'm not super trustworthy of this Arkansas rotation. That's the bottom line. That was the moral of the story behind that little anecdote. Now let's talk about UConn. So for UConn, Adama Sanogo has been killing it lately. He has had four times value in each of his last three games, and he's had double-doubles in two of those last three games, and his price is lower than normal. I think what happened was they lowered it before the St. Mary's game because they knew he was playing St. Mary's and they just forgot to up it back and I will take Sanogo at a discount any day of the week. Uh, he gives you a lot of upside with the rebounds and the blocks, uh, and he's a guy that is going to see a pretty steady usage rate. Now, Andre Jackson Jr. is the next guy on pricing for UConn, but what's weird is that he is like nowhere near the top of their usage rate. He's a glue guy. He gets to value without much shooting at all. Um, he records a lot of peripheral stats and does much better in up-tempo games, which is why I was fairly impressed with how you know the St. Mary's game, it wasn't great, but it wasn't like a guy that would have killed you in your lineup up if you played him. He's had five of his last seven games at four times value, and he's averaging five field goal attempts in those games. So you're looking at a guy who can get you to value without scoring a whole lot, which is something that we always like. He excels when the tempo increases, and it's going to be a game where the tempo does increase because they're playing Arkansas. Tristan Newton is another guy who excels when the tempo gets up. He puts up a lot of peripheral stats as well. He also has a little more of a scoring punch than Andre Jackson Jr. I am a big fan of Jackson Jr. and Tristan Newton on this slate. Now, looking further down the board at UConn, I think Alex Caravan is at a terrible price. I I like him as a player. I really do. He's a good fit for their offense as a four who can stretch the floor and exploit mismatches, but I really just don't get why he's priced as high as he is on DraftKings, and I kind of have no interest in playing him for that reason. Uh, I think he's going to be super low-owned, but like it's for good reason because I just don't think he should be at this price tag. Jordan Hawkins is UConn's leader in shot rate, and he can be a bit streaky. If he gets hot, you're going to have a really good night with Jordan Hawkins. If he's not it ain't going to be a good night at all because he doesn't record a whole lot of peripherals, which kind of limits his ceiling. But at the same time, the counter argument would be like, hey, well, what if he does have a good shooting night? And what if he lucks into some rebounds and some assists, right? Isn't that going to increase his ceiling? Yes, he just doesn't do it very often. So uh, I'm kind of not as big of a fan of Jordan Hawkins in DFS as I would be for Tristan Newton or for Andre Jackson Jr. Now, I do have to talk about the big fella, Donovan Klingon. And when I say big fella, I mean big fella. He is not going to play a lot of minutes because he He does not have a whole lot of endurance, but he can accumulate fantasy points in bunches when he is out there. The Mitchell twins at the five for Arkansas are not used to going against somebody who is bigger and more physically imposing and stronger than they are. And Klingon is all three of those things. So I think that he could be a matchup nightmare for Arkansas because their big bruisers in the paint are going to see a bigger bruiser in the paint. And so I think that this could be a solid opportunity for Klingon, even though he doesn't play a lot of minutes and that definitely caps his upside. I definitely think you could see a Donovan Klingon ceiling game here. Now, we're also seeing an increase in minutes for Naheem Alin in the postseason. Um, I think he's a guy that would be a super deep value play, almost a punt play, that could definitely be used to help you get to four times value for a lineup. It is a a smaller slate, y'all. It's only four games. So unlike the round of uh, 64 and the round of 32, I think you will probably see lower scores cashing in tournaments. You know, I had a two eleven lineup the um, Sunday night that did not cash, which I was super disappointed in. I think you're going to see more along the lines of like 200 to 205 be the divide line here in this slate. So a guy like Naheem Eileen who can get you to four times value without doing a whole lot at all would be a solid guy to have in your lineup. It'll give you a lot of flexibility for the rest of your lineup. All right, that does it for the first two games. And so this point is where DraftKings would be starting their late slate for Thursday night. So uh, we're going to take a quick breather and then we're going to break down the two late night Thursday games. All right, the first game of the nightcap is FAU taking on Tennessee. Uh, And Ken Palm has this one is 68 to 64. It is the lowest total of the night. And if you watch the Tennessee Duke game, I think you can probably understand why. Like Tennessee, they play super physical defense. And all we've been hearing about kind of all week when people talk about Tennessee is that physical defense. And how did they get away with all those, what people thought were fouls that maybe were, maybe weren't fouls in their game against Duke, right? And so this game is probably a stay away for me because of how Tennessee defends. But like part of me kind of feels like, well, you know, the officials have been seeing the media coverage all week long too. So do they come in with a mindset where like, okay, we're going to establish this early. Tennessee's not going to like get away with all these, what may or may not be fouls every single possession. And if they decide to call a really tight game because of that, he could definitely have a big impact on this game. And so I think that that kind of opens up a little bit of unknown. I definitely don't think you're going to see a game as physical as the Duke game, for sure, in my opinion. I I don't think that after how the media has reacted to that game, I don't think the officials are going to let that happen again. You got to remember, the officials are going out there to try to advance to the Final Four themselves. So they're definitely going to give their best effort. They're definitely not going to let that narrative slide that Tennessee is this team that fouls every possession, which again, they... Some of them are, some of them aren't. I think there's a little bit of merit to it. They do play super physical. So anyway, let's break down FAU. So for FAU, the two guys that are going to have the ball in their hands and that would probably be getting fouled by the Tennessee guys are John L. Davis and Elijah Martin. Honestly, they have very similar statistical profiles. They're very close in usage rate, shot rate, and fantasy points per game. But, you know, kind of what's weird is that in individual games, one of them seems to go off. The other one doesn't. And the, or they'll have games where they're both kind of even, right? Like it's one of the two options. You're either going to see one of them go off and one not, or they're both going to be about even. It's like they're locked into like about 65 combined fantasy points between the two of them, maybe a little lower than that. Um, and generally speaking, they're going to split it, you know, however the game works out, right? So like John L. Davis is the one that's coming off of the huge game against Fairway Dickinson. So if you want to argue that this is a sign for John L. Davis having a better usage rate in the NCAA tournament in close games, hey, look, I totally get it, right? But my counter argument would be that Elijah Martin has significantly higher usage rate when they beat UAB in the Conference USA title game, which was a game that they needed to win to get in the NCAA tournament. So um. I really think that these two, it's kind of splitting hairs. Um, I don't necessarily think that one or the other is a better matchup against Tennessee. John L. Davis typically plays um, the four. For FAU, Um, he does profile as a small guard who plays a super small ball role with the four, uh, and Elijah Martin does typically play minutes at the three. They're not big guys. So you're kind of looking at two guys that could both pose mismatch problems to the Tennessee guys who are not going to be as quick as these two. Now, the other guy that is while we're talking about lack of quickness, is Vladislav Golden, the seven-footer for FAU. Uh, He's kind of just been mediocre. Uh, He's been in between three times and four times value in his last three games, and he doesn't play a whole lot of minutes. He's seen a lot of minutes to Giancarlo Rosado. Um, So I don't know if Golden plays more minutes in this game or not. I don't really know how Dusty May is going to attack this one because he tends to play a lot when he has a size advantage and when the tempo is slow, right? And so he won't have a size advantage on Placic or Adu, whoever Tennessee's playing at the five, but he can match up with them defensively. He's not going to be exploited on the defensive end, like by a stretch big, because neither of them are like super scorers. Adu does float out around the perimeter, but he's kind of a catch and shoot guy. He's not a guy that's going to, you know, like create off. The dribble from the perimeter. Um, so I could see Golden getting a good amount of minutes. Um, but Rosado has been pretty good for FAU. He's hit four times value in their last two games. But what is worth noting is the FAU has not played these two together on the floor in the last five games. So both of them are capping each other's upside unless Dusty May decides to really throw us a curveball and match size with Tennessee and play both of them at the same time, which I don't see it. So I think right now Golden and Rosado, they're kind of capping each other's upside. I would kind of be more likely to play Rosado for that reason. Now, I also think that Nick Boyd and Brian Greenlee are two very solid value plays. Boyd has gotten to four times value in three of his last eight games, but unfortunately all three of those games were where FAU scored over 75, and I don't think the chances are very likely for FAU to get that total against Tennessee. Brian Greenlee did just hit four times value in their first round game against Memphis, and that one only had 131 points scored, which is kind of similar to this one's total. Greenley's also hit four times value in four of his last seven. I think he is a really accessible value play, in my opinion, and I'm pretty Probably going to have a little bit of Greenlee in my lineups. Now for Tennessee, I had doubted on, on the podcast for Saturday, I had doubted Santiago Vescovie's upside on a lower usage rate before the Duke game. And he um, kind of proved me wrong because he put up 35 fancy points. And what's even more impressive is that he did it with a 19% usage rate. Like he wasn't seeing a massive amount of usage. He was just playing really well, got a lot of rebounds and assists, and he shot a few huge threes in that game that did you know go in and they were huge for Tennessee in getting it. So I kind of think that that 35 fancy points is his ceiling if he's gonna see a 19% level usage. But you know, does he end up seeing more than a 19% level usage? I don't know. But I really like how he played against Duke and I wouldn't mind going back to him for that reason. Now, the two guys who did get the usage against Duke were Josiah Jordan-Games and Olivia Nkama. Uh, Triple J had four times value against Duke, and Nkama had five times value against Duke. And to me, those big three for Tennessee are kind of the guys that I for sure want to get some exposure to, right? I don't think that they limit each other's upside because they all will get a little bit of usage. They've shown that. Without Zakai Zewer, they're all going to get touches. They're all going to get shots. Um, But Triple J and Nkama have been the two team leaders in usage uh, in the NCAA tournament. So if FAU continues to play small ball with Davis and Martin at the four and the three, um, they're going to be giving up a lot of size to Triple J and to Nkama. So I really like the chances of me putting one of at least one of those two guys triple j and Incomwa, in my lineups for thursday night now, Jonas Adu, we got to talk about, he did have a four times value game against Duke. I thought he played really well against the Duke front court. He only played 23 minutes and that is his high in the last four games. But like I said, he played well on both sides of the ball. He also gives Tennessee a little bit of spacing at the five because he can hit a catch and shoot three, um, which I think really helps Nkamwa get to the rain, get to the lane. I think it gives Vescovy better spacing to do what he does on the perimeter. So I think you could make an argument that there's more minutes for Adu to go around. Now, the rest of the Tennessee, front court is just kind of a mess. Julian Phillips does not play enough minutes to consistently hit value. Um and Euros Placic is a walking flagrant one foul. Um like he just can't stop fouling. And now he is playing more minutes in the postseason than he did in the regular season, but that's kind of incredible because I feel like every time I watch him play, he just picks up two quick fouls, boom, boom, and then he's back out of the game. So if he could stay on the floor by not fouling, I would have more confidence in playing him as a value play, but I just don't. I think he's going to get himself in foul trouble, and I think this offense actually works better with Adu out there to provide some catch-and-shoot spacing. Now, Jemai Meshack for Tennessee was a cardio guy against Duke. Um, He ran around, and he only got two fantasy points in 19 minutes. Now, I was surprised when I looked at the box score to see that he did have a 22% usage rate in that game. So if he's going to get a 22% usage rate again, I think he puts up more than two fantasy points. Like I think that was an absolute floor game out of Meshack. So if you're a believer in usage rate, Meshack will be your guy to go to for a value play, and he's going to be super low-owned after that performance personally i would rather play tyree key who is you know a believer in shot rate um he only had six fancy points against duke but he was one for seven from the field you know if he just makes that three of seven or four of seven maybe gets to the line a few times you can see a much better outcome he's gotten at least seven shots in five of his last six games For some reason, Tennessee really wants this guy to shoot the ball. They kind of force feed it to him in situations to shoot the ball. So I kind of think he has a little more upside than Meshack for that reason. It's all dependent on shot rate versus usage rate. If you think shot rate's important, Tyreek Key would be your guy. Um, If you think usage rate's important, Meshack is your guy. If you want to go somewhere else to get your value plays, I totally understand. Because like I said, this is one of the worst, if not the worst game um, environment of the night. Uh, And Tennessee's usage is going to lump around Triple J and Incomwap. All right, that does it for game three. So on to the nightcap, which is the best game environment of the night. It is Gonzaga versus UCLA. Ken Palm has as UCLA 76 to 73. Uh, It is the highest total of the night and Gonzaga is the worst defensive team in the night they're 75th in the nation in defensive efficiency according to Ken Palm now Gonzaga's offense has also backed it up though they scored 80 in their last two or in their first two tournament games their last two games played but they now get to play UCLA who is the number two team in the country in defensive efficiency I don't necessarily like their chances to get to 80 against UCLA now let's break down the Zags offense so Drew Timmy had an almost five times value game against TCU with a huge 33% usage rate, but which is actually not much higher than what he gets on the season. He averages about 30 on the season. I think there's a chance that he does have a big game against UCLA. We know about the Adem Bona injury to UCLA. I don't think he's 100% healthy. And even if he is, he fouls a lot. In fact, all three of UCLA's bigs, Bona, Nuuba, and ETN, all average over 5.8 fouls per 40 minutes. So what I think you're gonna see is the zags are going to dump it down to timmy and these bigs are either going to foul him or they're going to have to learn how to play without fouling him and if they you know if gonzaga keeps doing that then that's going to be bad for ucla because i think these bigs are just going to run out of fouls and then they're going to have to play soft now one thing that i thought was interesting that tcu did was they guarded Drew Timmy with a guard, Micah Peavy, and they just had him keep fronting him and keep fronting him. But what ended up happening was he got out of position for rebounds and gave up a few offensive rebounds and picked up fouls trying to prevent Timmy from getting putbacks or getting offensive rebounds. And he ended up fouling out. But I thought that strategy was actually fairly effective. And I could see UCLA doing that with a David Singleton or with a Jaime Haquez. I think that's actually a possibility. Now, for Gonzaga, their usage rates are kind of sad from here on out. No one other than Timmy has over a 21% usage rate on the season, which leads me to Julian Strother and Antoine Watson. They've been great in the NCAA tournament, like fantastic, putting up big numbers, playing well, like they have just done well for you if you played them in DFS, right? But I kind of think that comes to an end against a slower, better defending UCLA team than the two teams that they played so far. There's not going to be as much opportunities for peripheral stats with both of these guys have picked up a lot of rebounds, and there's not enough usage offensively for these guys to to continue getting to the um, totals that they've been at with, you know, a great defensive team like UCLA. I just don't like the spot for them, and as great as they've been, I'm probably going to be fading them here on this Thursday night slate. Now, the Gonzaga point guard situation is still super muddy. Nolan Hickman plays a ton of minutes, but he doesn't have a great usage rate, and he's had some dud games because the games where he just doesn't shoot the ball a whole lot, he doesn't score a lot of fancy points. Receiver Bolton did have a five-times value game against TCU. I like him a lot, but he's... um. He's not consistent. His game log and his usage rates have been pretty erratic, but I'm kind of willing to roll the dice on him. We're on a smaller slate. It's the best game environment at night, and he's shown you some upside. So he has three five-times value games into the last seven. So like, I'm kind of willing to roll the dice on a guy that has that kind of upside, and I think he is the guy of this Gonzaga backcourt that has the most upside. Malachi Smith, I would personally love in DFS if he played more minutes, but I think the amount of minutes that he plays really caps his upside, um, and you know, I wish I could vouch for him some more, but just the level of minutes he's playing has really capped what he does for you in fantasy. Now for UCLA, we know about the injuries to Jalen Clark and then Adem Bona, right? Now Bona is kind of back. He played 21 minutes against Northwestern, which is close to his season average of 22.8. So I kind of think he's back in the lineup, but also like everything I've read indicates that he's still in quite a lot of pain and he's not full strength. Um, So I kind of think he plays, but I don't know if, like, you can expect a full load out of a damn bono. Now, I do want to mention just kind of how their guards have performed since the Jalen Clark injury. So, it's been five games since Jalen Clark got injured for the season, and in those five games, Jaime Hawkes has not had a game under 25% usage, and he's averaging 35.2 fantasy points, so, you know, about three and a half times value. Now, Tiger Campbell hasn't had lower than a 24% usage, and is also averaging 35.2 fantasy points per game. But Tiger Campbell's $2,100 cheaper on DraftKings. Now, for the record, I like them both. This is a tempo up spot. Gunzag is not a great defense, but I think just apples to apples. Campbell and Hawkins are averaging about the same amount of fancy points, literally the same amount of fancy points with Jalen Clark out of the lineup. So why would I not be more intrigued in playing Tiger Campbell? Who's much cheaper. I mean, Hakez does get dual eligibility. So you can play him at the forward spot, but I definitely think, you know, just one-to-one Campbell is a better option. But like I said, I'm not opposed to playing one or both of them in a lineup. Now, Let's talk about Amari Bailey, because in that same stretch, he is averaging 30.1 fantasy points per game, which is a little over four times value. And again, this is a tempo up spot against not a great defense. No reason to go away from him. Now, the last situation we need to talk about is David Singleton. He is currently listed as questionable for this game, and he has played over 28 minutes in UCLA's last five games. He's seen much more minutes since the Jalen Clark injury. Now, if he misses, UCLA's kind of running short on guards. My guess would be that those minutes would go to Dylan Andrews, who has played double-digit minutes in the last five, and he seems to be like the last guard that Mick Cronin like really trusts because when you look at the other guards, they're like missing games or there's a game where they'll play like two minutes or three minutes. And so I kind of think that Andrews would be the guy that Cronin would have the trust in to go, okay, this guy can play 25 to 30 minutes tonight. And so if we get news on Singleton early, Andrews immediately becomes one of my favorite value plays. And because he's in the latest game of the night, I think you can actually, you know, set up a late swap opportunity where you put him in the util and, you know, maybe before the Gonzaga game, hopefully you have news on Singleton and you can late swap to somebody in that if that is an option for you. So I kind of like the idea of doing that with Dylan Andrews and I really like um, the idea of him being the value play for the UCLA guards. Now, if you want to take a shot on one of these other UCLA guards, like I'm not super opposed to it, but like I said, my belief is that it's going to be Andrews. I'm not like hundred percent guaranteeing it. I am not Mick Cronin. I'm not Mick Cronin's dad either. Um, so I'm not guaranteeing that it's going to be Dylan Andrews, but I definitely think he's the most likely candidate to get those minutes. Now, Singleton being out could also add usage for Jaime Jaquez, Tiger Campbell, and Amari Bailey. So if you're playing those guys already, then like, I'm not saying to add Andrews to it, but I definitely think you could see a little boost for those three if Singleton is in fact out of the game. All right, so that does it for the last game of the night, and that does it for this Thursday preview for the Sweet 16. I will be back here on the podcast um, doing previews for the Friday Sweet 16 games, as well as the Saturday and the Sunday Elite 8 games. I'm not going to lie, y'all. I kind of like the smaller slates. I think I got to go in a little bit of detail, and I don't think there's anybody out there that can go in that level of detail in the amount of time that we just did. So um, like I said, if you like what you're hearing on the podcast, please rate, subscribe, and review. Hitting that subscribe button. You'll be notified when new episodes drop, so you'll know when our other Sweet 16 and Elite uh, Elite 8 episodes that was tough to say when those elite eight episodes go live all right so um the madness is back y'all i I personally i I love the first weekend the ncaa tournament but i also really love watching this second weekend because to me this second weekend the ncaa tournament this is the most high quality basketball you will see for college basketball like it's great teams that are in action um, they're in normal college basketball sized arenas, not a dome like the final four there's not all the added pressure and attention of the final four this is college basketball at its finest and I'm looking forward to watching it this weekend and I will be here all weekend recording the podcast for the rest of the rounds. so best of luck to you guys in all your DFS endeavors I hope I will see you um, later on this week for the other rounds here on the podcast but thank you guys for listening and I will see you guys next time